This is the We Are Her podcast for survivors of abuse or assault to share their stories. I'm your host, Emily Kemp, and I'll be having a conversation with a different survivor each week. I want to be sure to include a strong trigger warning with this podcast. The content we discuss includes topics related to violence. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the We Are Her podcast. Um, I'm just going to take a minute and let you introduce yourself to whoever's listening and and say hello. Hello. My name is Alex. I'm in Texas. I feel like my accent is really going to come through when I listen to this later. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, And what do you do in Texas, Alex? In Texas, I'm a yoga instructor. Nice. I also work with children in a residential treatment facility. They have been placed there by Child Protective Services. They live there and they go to school there. So I teach there and I create behavior intervention programs. Awesome. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. And we've talked quite a few times. That's really Mm -hmm. neat. Yes. Thank you again for for just agreeing to be on the podcast and for uh, sharing your story. Um, obviously, we think it's really important, and we're so glad that other survivors think it's really important, too. Well, thank you for allowing me. So generally what I do to, to kind of get the ball rolling with the story sharing piece is just to kind of invite you to start telling your story wherever you feel most comfortable or wherever it makes the most sense for you. Okay. I think the way that it makes the most sense for me is in sort of like a, t- a timeline type of a fashion. Okay. Um, that helps me to get the ball rolling. So this relationship started on the precise date of May 9th, 2018, which is actually two years, two year anniversary will be coming up pretty soon of me knowing this person. And that also makes me very thankful to be here to tell the story. Um, I would say that before this relationship began, I recall that I was doing very well in my life. I had, my job was going very well at that time. I was doing social work um, for the mental health system in, for for mental health in our court system. Okay. And I was teaching yoga I was feeling healthy. I was happy. I mean, everything was going well. There, there had not been a recent significant event. I really was not even looking to date. I had, I was not just recently out of a relationship. Um, before I worked for the court system, I was a crisis specialist. Um, oddly enough, which I'm very good at. And I, that, that required me to go into emergency rooms and do evaluations on individuals that were experiencing a mental health crisis. Okay. And I did assessments to 
ascertain whether or not they needed hospitalization. So during this time, I saw medical professionals and I saw this person. Um, he's an ER physician who is the abuser. I saw him one day from afar and as you know, ERs are really chaotic and there's a lot going on. And he was sitting like in a cross-legged position and he had this appearance or this kind of what I now know is just a presentation about him that was very serene hmm. and calm and very intriguing to me. And every time I saw him at the emergency room, probably three or four times total in that in that job that I was doing, he was the same way. I never even heard him say anything. Um, and I didn't feel comfortable asking about him, you know, who's that doctor, you know. Right. And at one point, after I was not in that job anymore, I realized that we had a mutual friend and it was kind of a far reach. And I took that as a signal, you know, oh, I need to, I, now, now I can ask, you know, cause I had not forgotten this person that I'd seen. And so I asked my friend and he said, oh yeah, we went to high school together. So then I realized that he was 20 years older than me. He didn't appear at the time. He did not appear to be that there was that significant of an age gap between us. Sure. Um, he said, "I'll you know I'll reach out to him. He's really not. I don't know much about him. I know that he got a divorce. Other than that, you know, I don't really know anything." And he ended up contacting him. I'll call him um, Doctor Michael. Okay. Um is the abuser because I'll get confused who I'm talking about. So he contacted Dr. Michael and told him a little bit about me. And Michael said, absolutely. I'd like to talk to her. I'm single. Um, I do yoga. She likes yoga. Cool. So I have this idea in my mind that I am going to talk and meet this person that is, you know, maybe a little quiet, you know, I had, a, I had a lot of preconceived ideas about him just based on what I had seen from afar. Right. Like he had made a certain kind of impression on you. Yes. That stuck with me for quite some time. So I remember my friend said, can I give him your phone number? I said, yes. And he, Michael called me, I think the same night that he got my contact information and I was it was like nine I go to bed early and it was uh, about 9 30 I was asleep I didn't hear the phone ring he sent me a text message he said this is Michael and our friend said we might enjoy talking to each other so whenever you have a chance please give me a call and so I sent him a text message the next day I said oh that's you know I'm quite excited to talk to you and get to know you um we can talk on the phone today and so I would say the first red flag that I didn't realize at the time was a red flag. I sort of, I, I started making excuses for him immediately in my mind. 
we talked on the phone and he never stopped talking. And I remember I was sitting outside because I was really nervous, you know, I have not dated a lot. And I was really nervous to talk to him on the phone, you know, like jittery. And he just talked constantly. So many words, so many so many topics and like rabbit holes he would go down that I thought to myself, he's, well, you know, he's a doctor. They, they aren't always properly socialized, you know, right. <laughs> he's, he's nervous already. I was making, I made excuses from, from the very beginning, from the time we started talking and he and I'm curious too, real fast. Like what I'm hearing is it sounds like it was like pretty one-sided. Like he was taking more than he was giving and just kind of talking at you. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Because I, I couldn't even tell you what the conversation was about. Sure. Sure. Um, and at the end, um, it was, it was so lengthy that my phone battery died and just mid during like mid sentence. So I had to plug my phone in and once my phone started working again, there were these, all of these text messages from him, hmm. like, has your phone died? Let me know when I can call you. Do you have battery yet? And I was so worn out from the conversation that I was thinking to myself, there's absolutely no way that I can get on the phone with him again tonight. Right. So I said, I, um, and oh, let me, I will tell you this. When I had first contacted him, the only thing I got in to say was, you know, when you called me last night, I was already asleep. And he said, oh, I like that, that you go to sleep early. And I said, oh, for what reason? You know, health, you know. And he said, well, you know, yeah, any, you know, it's kind of nice to know that, like, you're not a woman that's out, like, late at night, you know, running around. Oh, <laughs> running around town and I again I made an excuse like oh he's joking you know now I know that he he really latched on to that immediately and in some ways like it's easy in those moments to write it off as like oh well maybe they meant it as a genuine compliment or we're just getting to know each other so you know like right it's just it's so you don't walk into that situation anticipating that you're engaging with an abusive person you just know that's not like your lens that you're looking through when you're first meeting someone so no. it makes sense that it's like oh, okay well we're just getting to know each other maybe he's nervous like you know I've said some really dumb shit when I'm nervous yeah. <laughs> I, don't like, I, I don't want to you know blow him off like this right. bad right I, and I had never been um, the only abuser in my life previous to this was my mother um so I had not ever been in any an intimate relationship with somebody abusive. So a lot of these things were, were like you said, there. You know, I wasn't looking for them in that way. Right. So, um, you know, I told him, I, you know, I have, I made an excuse, like I, I have something to do. We can, you know, we, we'll talk tomorrow or, or something. And so the next day, he texted me and he said, um, "How about we?" go and meet for 
I think he said coffee or hot tea or, you know, something, something that went along with the whole yoga relaxed kind of presentation. Sure. Um, cause he knew I was a yoga teacher and that I went to bed early. So already he's picking up on the things to, to do to, you know, kind of reel me in. Right. So we did, we met for, um, hot tea and it went well. It still felt quite a bit one-sided when I was in person with him. I remember right before walking up to meet him, he was waiting for me outside and he was sitting, his back was to me and he was sitting cross-legged on a bench and he had like these, this prayer rope thing that he is part of his religious spiritual practice. And I thought, Oh my, I mean that, that did it again. So I was like, Oh God, you know, I gotta, I gotta see how this goes because that is just, you know, I was loving that. So we have our hot tea. It went well, it went on for, I mean, it was, it was a long, very long first date. Um, he has a, his son was living with him at the time. His son has a disability of um, being on the autism spectrum. He talked a lot about that. It seemed, I think, that we were going back and forth a little bit better than on the phone. We went to a different location because where we were closed and we wanted the date to continue. And the only place open was like a restaurant with a bar. And he said, you know, I'm not a drinker, but, you know, do you want to have a beer? And I, I don't really drink anyway. And I said, well, you know, if you want one, then, you know, I'll have a sip of yours or something. So we're sitting there talking and um, that place ended up closing and we go out. I had ridden with him to that, to this place. And so I get back in the car with him for him to take me back to my vehicle. And at this point, it's almost, it's about one in the morning. Yeah, it's got to be pretty late if you guys, like, close down the bar, you know? Yeah, um, so here I am out running around, you know, past my bedtime. And he, we sit in the car, and he doesn't turn the car on. He asks me if I have any children. And hmm. I thought I covered that. And I said, no, you know, I don't have any children. I've never been married. Um and he referred to me as a unicorn that, hmm. oh, wow, you've never been married and you don't have children. You don't have baggage is, hmm. I think, is what, he, is what he called it. And, you know, I thought, mm, okay, that was a little bit of a, nah, because it, it's, it, I was starting to get a little bit of a taste of his overall feelings towards women right which showed up way later of course or, or later in a big way but he said well I have um he said you know my daughter is 19 and she just you know she when my wife left us she just became this awful daughter she was wonderful to my son and now she's not, and she won't talk to me, and I gave her money and clothes and college, and I mean, he was, again, this is our first date, so he's going 
I think for about 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. Can I also just point out that it's very interesting that he expected you not to have any baggage and yet here he was like unloading all of his baggage on you so much of it yeah right what a double standard exactly and I didn't think about that until you just said it um Mm -hmm. and he's just going on and on and on about his daughter and really just making her sound like this absolute ungrateful brat went to college, forgot about everybody, got a boyfriend and forgot about her dad, you know, and it immediately I started having a feeling that it was the, the, it felt yucky. It felt inappropriate the way that he was talking about his daughter, almost like he was talking about an ex lover, Mm -hmm. which also kind of that showed up later. So I, uh, you know, I just sat there listening to this guy that I've just met, you know, talking about his daughter that I've never met. And I was able to kind of move the conversation away from that. And, you know, I, I'm tired. I have to teach yoga in the morning. So could you drive me back to my car? And so he drove me back to my car. He asked me if he could come to my yoga class the next day. Um, my next evening class, I said, sure, he did. He wanted to go out again, and I, I said, um, you know, I'm so I'm, I'm really tired, staying up late, but you know, I would love to a, a, a different time. So we we were sharing conversation back and forth, sort of getting to know each other over text message the next few days, and um, he was working, so it was a lot less of talking. So it, it kind of it felt a little bit. I should say kind of normal there for a moment. Yeah. Like more balanced, maybe Yeah, not as intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, so I have a class, I had a class I remember on Sunday in the afternoons and he is, um, his religion, the church that he goes to is, and still is uh, Greek Orthodox. So he said that he, you know, played a very big role in the church and he served at the altar and he would be there, you know, from 9am to two. And then he would like to come to my yoga class. And so I said, okay. And he had talked about the, his, his spirituality and his religion quite a bit as well up to that point. Um, making it really clear that that was a big part of his life and very important to him. So he came to my class and we went in his vehicle to go have dinner. And I asked him, I said, would you, you know, would you like, I said, I, before this, I said, would you like to come with me to my house or follow me to my house so that I can change my clothes and then, you know, we can go eat. And so we got to where I live and I had expected him to just park his car and wait on me, but he just followed me up to my apartment. Hmm. So, I thought, well, okay, I'll, you know, make this quick. I didn't feel scared or anything. It just was like, okay, well, you didn't really ask. But, again, making excuses. Like, he just seemed excited. Like, and I want to, you know, like, oh, he wanted to see my cat and look at my artwork that I had talked about. So, I changed my clothes and I'm ready to go. And he's like, oh, sit here for a second. Um, It was Mother's Day. 
He said, sit here for a second. I've got to call my mom for Mother's Day. And he called his mom. And then he starts talking about his religion. And he wants to show me this video, this priest talking about something related to, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't remember. And time just passes with him talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking that it gets to the point where it's clear that we're not going to eat and that he's not leaving my house. So we're sitting next to each other and I have not, I I don't know what came over me to, I I can't, I was thinking like, I've got to get him to shut up. Yeah. So there was like a small break in the conversation and I asked him if he wanted to kiss. I just said, like, can I kiss you? That's one way to get him to shut up. I love that tactic. It's so great. I I just said, do you want to kiss? (laughs) Because I want you to shut up. So his face turned red, so, so red. And it looked like he was a, like, I thought he was going to say no. I really did. And I was just going to, you know, deal with that. And so we kissed. It was like a peck. And then we started kissing, you know, we started like kind of making out. And I did not, did not have the expectation of it going any further. Personally, I've always, you know, wanted to have a little bit more time to get to know somebody before I had intercourse with them. And we, um, while we're making out, I mean, not for very, even very long, like not even like, let's make out. And it's just kind of fun to make out. He stops and he's like, do I need to go get a condom or something? Hmm. And it was like, uh, no, (laughs) no, no, we're not like, I'm not, we're not, no, we're, I was like, no, dude, like, I don't have that. I don't, I just want to like, we can just make out. And it ended up that we, let's see, we went into my bedroom and I thought, okay, we'll just, we're going to kiss and kind of hang out and talk. And he seemed to start relaxing more. And the next thing I knew, my I didn't have any clothes on and he was inside of me. Hmm. It was so fast. Yeah. It seems like that's kind of like everything that I'm hearing too, just sort of his MO, like the way he operates, whether it's sex or just talking to you or coming into your house, like he is just blowing past boundaries, like they don't exist and not really checking and not like being, you know, careful or empathetic or courteous, just boundaries do not exist to him. Absolutely not. Not until after the fact, like it happens. Is that okay? You know? Right. You're like, well, that might've been a question asked before. (laughs) Yeah. It's flipped. So, and I was really, it it was confusing to me because I was like, okay, that happened really fast. I've never done that before that fast. I'm okay. Um, and I told him, he, I mean, he made himself very comfortable in my house. He was walking around naked. He went to my refrigerator and like got out some fruit and started cutting it and was really making himself at home. And I knew that his son was at home and his son really relied on him as far as like knowing where his dad is a lot. Right. So I said, no, absolutely no pressure. You don't have to stay any longer than you want to. You're, you know, I know that your son probably needs you. And he was like, no, I don't want to leave. So I was like, oh, okay. So I feel like maybe take the hint, you know, 
trying to give you a yeah. graceful exit here. Dude, I, I, I don't think anything about you, you know, like I, you're, I see that you're respectful and you're not just going to leave and never talk to me again. It's absolutely fine. And he just didn't take the bait and he spent the night, left the next day when it was time for me to go to work, just hung out, had some coffee. God. And what I can say, the, the theme throughout the whole relationship, and even when I try to tell it, it's like I never could catch up with what was going on. Mm, that's Does a, that make sense? Yes. No, I think that's a really articulate way of putting it. It's like he just kind of came in like a wrecking ball and, and left you like, what, what? <laughs> like just moment yeah, to moment. Like, yeah, like, okay, I couldn't, I couldn't process that because then, um, you know, then he, he wants to come over before his work at the emergency room and he's going to bring some food and we're just going to have some dinner and then he's going to go to work and then he gets off at six o'clock in the morning. So can he come back by? And, um, I was, I know that I left to go on a trip for a week right after our first, right after all of that happened. And he came over one night for dinner went to work and then came by after work at 7 a.m., you know, with orange juice and um, stayed at my house right up until the moment I had to leave to drive to the airport. Mm. You know, like I'm packing my bag and doing all these things that you just don't do around somebody that you don't know well. Right. You know, like I just, like I need, I got to pack my bag and like check out, make sure the cat is okay. And, you know, he's just there. He is, he has marked his territory already yeah. looking back I know that he's like this this belongs to me now yep and so I was gone for a week and that was the only time during the relationship that I had any time to breathe and even think about it as a whole still I'm making excuses for him um when it was time he was so excited for me to come back and I thought that was cool, uh, you know, because I'm still thinking maybe this is what people do when they like really like somebody. I mean, I'm very much a laid back, very go slow person. Right. And so I just thought maybe this is a thing that some people do when they are just really excited and I'll talk to him about it. Would, you know, we'll have a conversation about it when he chills out. Yeah. Would Would you uh, consider what he was doing like love bombing? I don't know if you're yes. familiar. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Which is such Very a, cool. yeah, it's such a intentional tactic, but it's easy to disguise as like affection and, and hard to challenge. Cause if you're like, what are you doing? They're like, what loving you? Like, I don't understand, you know? Yes. Yeah. Ab that is absolutely what we, and, and from, from very beginning, mm -hmm. it, it was love bombing. I come home from my trip. It's late. I told him, you know, hey, it's late. We'll get together tomorrow. I walk up to my, up the stairs. I live in an apartment and he was sitting on my doorstep. Wow. Literally sitting. Leaned back against the door. Like with his eyes closed, just waiting. And I thought, okay. Um, hello. And, hello. <laughs> well, hi. Here you are. So essentially, he, from that moment, I think it was like I want to say it was like May twenty third because I was I wrote I was writing dates down. He essentially moved in 
to my apartment without my permission. There was no discussion. And that's still part of the whole, okay, well, I'll talk to him. Well, he'll get, he'll, he'll get tired. He'll need to go home. (laughs) You know, like, and if you didn't talk about it, it's one thing. I mean, at the time, on some level, I'm sure you're like, well, he'll go home eventually, but he basically just showed up and never left, which is not the same thing as like move. I mean, yeah, he moved in, but it's not like you knew that that's what he was trying to do. At yeah, the I didn't know that that's really what he was doing. I thought right. he just always just be with me and he made it like, oh, you're an island of, you know, I can escape here and not have to be constantly dealing with my son and I get to leave the emergency room and come here and it's peaceful. And, you know, so I'm thinking, oh, well, that's cool, you know. Okay, but still we're going to have to kind of catch up and talk about this at some point because, right. you know, like I need to – we all have our at-home things that we do. Like I need to stare at a wall for 30 minutes by right. myself. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, dude. So – the very first thing I noticed that made it painfully obvious that something was not right was that it was about the first weekend of June. I had gone on a very short trip to go visit my sister. She lives in a different state. It was like a weekend. I get back on Monday. He's at my house. I have to go to work. And he's like, well, I'm just going to stay here and do some work here if you don't, if you don't care. I'm like, well, hell, you know. <laughs> yeah. You're always here anyway. What's the difference? You're going to do it no matter what I say. So, sure. I come back to my house. He has replaced all of my kitchen items with new dishes, new cups, new bowls, I mean, new, new silverware, new everything. Um, all of my bedding is gone and replaced with new bedding. My, anything in my shower that looked like it had been used had been gotten rid of. He'd cleaned the entire place and I'm not, I mean, there's things, but I am not filthy. Like I don't live in a filthy type of environment. Right. And he said, um, you know, I thought that since, you know, we're in a relationship now that you could start fresh with all new stuff since I don't really know who's who's used your bowls and been in your sheets and used your the stuff in your shower before me. That That is a very, very odd way of looking at the world. Um, yes. And to me, it's like, like you were saying, that's like a territorial thing. He's like, peeing on the fire hydrant he's peeing all all over that apartment he peed all over it mine 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 you know that's um yep this is all mine and um i use i use razor to shave my legs i use men's razors he said i got rid of all of those because i didn't know if those were left over by some boyfriend of yours Hmm. and that was the i mean that was the first time i looked at him you know kind of like and even if it was, that's exactly. a, none of his business and B, like, fine, you know, that still doesn't give him the right to like throw yeah, away your I thing. I an explanation about my razors at this point or right. my sheets. <laughs> so um, that was when I was started to con- try to concoct in my mind how to address this. And again, it was so hard because I could not keep up with him. 
like, okay, I'll do it now. And then it would be something, you know. So he, um, once we had intercourse for the first time, he wanted to have intercourse constantly. Mm. And that was a big, that was, I think for me, was really the, the most, I would say what bonded me to him so fast. Um, because at the beginning, intimacy with him was very, I mean, it was very much about me. He was very generous, very, you know, careful, gentle, kind, you know, it was, it was a tactic and it bonded me to him, you know, oxytocin is released. And now I'm, now I'm that, that, and I didn't know that at the time, but that was a big part of the reason I feel like I was making excuses for him because I was already pretty attached to him chemically. And that's intimacy shared, you know, that's, um, there are all the chemicals and all of that, but it's, it's an investment in someone else that is time, you know, that is intimacy shared with someone else. And, um, you know, I think it's hard to just think, Oh, well, we've already built this connection. Like, do I want to throw it all away? Or, you know, it's, it's easy when you're looking for the best in someone, when you feel like you've shared that connection to, to write off some of the things that you maybe are concerned about. Absolutely. And that, that you explained it perfectly. So he um, was, it was one evening, he was at my house. He wanted to make me dinner. He didn't start cooking dinner until we had had, he'd wanted to have sex. And then I was like, Hey, let's do dinner another night. I just really got to go to bed. No, I want to cook you dinner. He starts cooking at 10 o'clock. I fall asleep on the couch and I'm watching this show that I was excited about. And he comes over to the, first of all, he told me, I don't want you in the, I don't want you in the kitchen. You're just going to get in my way. I really, I can't have anybody around me in the kitchen while I'm cooking. I have to be able to focus. Okay. So I went to the couch, fell asleep and he has this real elaborate meal and I ate it really fast. He made a comment, you know, like, oh, did you have a nice nap? And I was so tired that I thought, whatever, dude. And so I eat the, I eat my dinner and I went and got in bed and went to sleep. And I recall that he got in bed with me. I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and not intentionally, I just woke up and he wasn't in the bed. And I go, when I looked at my phone, I slipped to look at the time. I saw that I had text messages from him and I'm like, you know, kind of what the hell. So I go out into the living room and he is on his phone sending me text messages of articles and I have a cat. The articles were um, like psychology today articles about the psychology of pet owners that let their pets run their house and their lives. And that's so so random. Yes. Talk about not being able to keep up. My goodness. It's just like an onslaught of one thing after another. And that's literally what it was. As I go sit on the couch, you know, what what is going on? He said, I cannot take any more of your cat being near my food or my genitals. Hmm. And you, she was never near his genitals, (laughs) but I I, I would have been aware of that. 
Yeah. Like, he didn't want her in the room when we were having intercourse. Anywhere. Not under the bed, not on the dresser. I mean, nowhere. I mean, that's pet life. Like, if you have pets and you also want to have sex, like, they're generally, like, you know. They're, yeah. Especially <laughs> a cat. Like, you can't tell a cat what to do. Like, I cannot go back here and try to do some behavior intervention. Right. So, um, he basically, you know, got all, got really on to, on to me about that. And I went back and got in my bed and I just was, he was on the couch and I was just crying in my bed thinking, I want to go back. I want to go back. I want my life back. I can't feel this. This is weird. Something is wrong. This is not normal. Uh, I woke up in the morning. He was, he wanted to have a conversation with me and he gave me this whole spiel about, you know, the whole, the whole thing about animals and the higher, and like, this is animals over humans and they, we don't, they don't run us. We run, you know, all this kind of wild stuff I couldn't keep up with. And then he told me that the show I was watching on television was terrible and it was poisoning my mind and garbage in and garbage out. And did you hear the way those people in that show were talking to each other? And it was just all of this all at one time. So I just started crying. And a lot of it was, I was exhausted. Yeah. It wasn't so much that I even cared what he was saying. I just wanted him to go away. Right. And I said, you've, I told him, I said, you've just got to go. You've just got to get out of my house. And he did. There was a little lapse of time and um you know he would profusely apologize i'm a terrible house guest i don't know how to act i have not been with a woman you know all of these things so this pretty much type of behavior continues so this is we're into june and um june this seems like the month of june was was a little bit better it was just him still constantly in my house if he wasn't at my house, he wanted me to ride with him. If he had to go get his laundry, he wanted me in the car with him. If I went to yoga, if I had yoga that I was teaching that he could go to, he wanted to go and then drop me off and pick me up. And I, I never was able to drive my vehicle unless I was by myself. He wanted to drive. He wanted to pick me up. He introduced me to his church, which was a big deal for him. And the next big incident I remember was that we went to church. It was still all different and unusual to me, just the way that it's all set up. Um, Orthodox is, if you're just walking into it, it's it's different than anything if you haven't ever experienced it. And, you know, he told me where to stand. And so this was a church event or a, we went to church and his son was there and there were all these people he wanted me to meet to go eat and we went to go eat and it was me and him and like five other men and so he said the name of a it was a sushi place he said the name of a fish kind of funny like instead of saying escalar he said escobar and so I laughed Pablo Escobar you know kind of haha yeah yeah <laughs> and he said really loud he goes Fine, I am not going to feed you anymore if you're going to laugh at me. And the whole table went quiet and nobody said a word. And then again, a tithe of apologies, followed by some strange explanation for his behavior. So we get into 
it, it, basically it's just a cycle of this, of this onslaught of odd stuff. He wanted me to take um, private jujitsu lessons with an instructor of his choosing. He said that I did not have any sort of awareness of myself that I did not need to wear yoga pants because they invited sexual assault and sexual advances from men. I gave men the wrong impression. I needed to wear something around my waist or change if I wasn't teaching yoga. It's just everything is about you not being good enough. You need to, aren't capable enough. You are like, it's just, you know, it's very, he's either talking about himself or the way that he's talking about you is in a very strange, negative, harmful way. Yes, all of it. Oh, I don't yeah. recall much positive that right. he had to, unless it was in the, the honeymoon phase, which always were very short. Right. Cycle of abuse. The, the Our honeymoon phases did not last very long. So that, that started with him. He started buying me clothes. I just like to dress you. I like to pick things out for you. I bought you this, you know. Um, and I was going to church with him pretty regular. He really wanted to, pre- it was like he wanted to present me as like, I've got this woman. She's 20 years younger than me. She has no children. She hasn't been married before. She's pure and open to this religion. And everybody look at her, you know, and this is, she, she, it belongs to me, you know. He right, really, but but like showing you off because it make him. It's about him, and you know, like it's not it, because, yes, not make him look good. Off, yeah, it was all for his own benefit. Um, around about, let's see, around about August, I was. I will say this: I was so anxious up to this point. June and July were a little bit of a blur. I remember in August, I was, I'm five feet tall. I was down to 95 pounds because I was so anxious Mm -hmm. and tired. I just didn't have an appetite. Your body was telling you like, hey. My body was screaming at me. Screaming. And we went on a trip to Boston and New Hampshire with him, his son, to go meet his, to go spend the week with his biological father, who he had just discovered was his biological father a year before. So we're going to spend a week with these people who I don't know in a place that I've never been. He takes me to a place in a really nice part of Boston to pick out a diamond to look at rings. And I thought he was just doing it. it. I'm sure that something had happened and he was doing it as part of a way to make up. Like, just show me what you're interested in and I'll show you like what I can purchase is, is sort of, is sort of how I took that. And I showed him and we looked at it and um, we were staying with his father and stepmother and in this sort of weird, odd situation, his son needs his dad's attention a lot um, unbeknownst to me, they've been going off alone, smoking pot. And I will say up to this point in time that starting about in June is when he started openly smoking marijuana in front of me. And it would be from sunup to sundown. So he could wake up at 7am 
smoke until 5.30 p.m., and go to work at 6. Every day. Work work or no work. I found large. And do you think mm-hmm. he was probably doing that the whole time, but hiding it from you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I found large cans of beer, like the real large cans of beer. I found those empty in his vehicle. Um, he told me that just because my mother had been an alcoholic, I was hypersensitive to it. And um, so on this trip, they're sneaking off and smoking pot because he would always come back acting strange. And there was definitely more than pot, more than marijuana. Sure. I've, I've, Firmly believe. So we, we're on this trip and he gets mad at me numerous times on this trip in private. Tells me I need to follow his directions, follow his lead. I notice that you're starting to bond with my half sister, but she is not to be trusted and you can only trust me. And when we travel tomorrow, you have to listen to me. You can't listen to anybody else. Uh, you feel like any of his family was picking up on this, you know? I don't know how they couldn't. A lot of it was behind closed doors, but he is not as sophisticated, sure. I think, that he maybe was when he was younger. Um, Because now it's like I was the last person to know that this was a not safe individual. Right. So we go on this trip and then we are leaving and his son, who's high functioning. I mean, he's not, he doesn't need a a lot of, you know, daily living care. Right. His son is trying to talk to me, pulling me to the side when Michael's not around. And he's, he's saying, you know, my dad's behavior is strange. I want, I don't want to move. I don't want to live with him anymore. I want to move out. What do you think? And his dad, Michael, had told me before this, if Adam comes to you and says that he wants to talk to you about me, you have to tell him that you can't talk to him about me and you need to refer him back to me for any conversation that needs to be had. So I'm, I'm sort of dealing with the madness of the abuser of Michael. And then his son is wanting to talk to me about him. And I just want to get home. We're, we're in the airport in Boston. So Michael goes, they, they are arguing with each other, him and his son. Michael goes away to go get me a new piece of luggage, comes back an hour later while our plane is boarding. He reeks of vodka mm. He's drunk. He is so intoxicated acting completely bizarre and we get we get on the plane I asked him if he would not drink anymore because he was driving us home so we get into the airport and he and his son are arguing the whole way back they stop at a gas station um he gets food for me because he says I haven't had enough calories for the day and while he's driving he takes this like one of those protein drinks and like basically feet force fed me driving down the road Mm. and we get home. He drops me off. I remember him coming upstairs with me and admonishing him about not, you know, it was always his, his phrase was, you're not following my lead. You need to follow my lead. And I, so it was, 
I got in trouble because I didn't I hadn't followed his lead throughout the whole trip, mm. and we and we were gonna we were gonna revisit it, but he had to go deal with his son right now. So he took his son home. Like it's probably on the receiving end of his abuse as well. Very much so. Very much so. But is in a vulnerable a position and like kind of dependent on his dad in a lot of ways. And if he were to speak up, people would, you know, it's, he could very easily like use his autism status against him and be like, oh, you know, he's autistic. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Or, you know, like it just, yeah, I feel for his kid. Yep, that's a part of his disorder. Oh, yeah, all of that. Yeah. So the next day was he, you know, he never did miss church because he was so important to the church. His words. Which is less to do with like actually wanting to practice, uh, you know, something spiritual, but and more about like, you know, elevating himself in some way. Yes. No, there was no, I didn't really notice any um, humility there. Right. I thought was kind of the whole point but he did not show up at my house to pick me up and I got very I had this I just had a really bad feeling because he his son didn't answer the phone this is when I was starting to you know notice that things were really strange and so I'm thinking oh my gosh something something has happened well especially for someone who's been keeping tabs and like you know just on your ass for so long for them to just kind of go radio silent is a little eerie yes because he never did go radio silent mm-hmm. so I drive out to his home I walk in the door there's the refrigerator's open there's um, drug paraphernalia everywhere marijuana um alcohol the the they're like a tub of flowers poured out on the kitchen on the counter there's Hershey syrup dripping down the, 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 you know, down the wall. And Michael is laying on the couch naked, just passed out, literally passed out. Mm. You know, and I shook him awake, you know, and he, you know, what, what's going on? And, you know, I told him, I said that was, you know, that was really scary. I didn't know what was going on. And he said, well, the good news is, is you can move in now because my son left at four o'clock in the morning and he is never coming back. So let's pack up your stuff and move you in. And that was his main focus. They had gotten in an argument. His son left in the middle of the night to go stay with a friend. He's not coming back unless it's to get his stuff. Now I can move in. And no explanation for all of the bizarre stuff, literally just dripping everywhere. No, nope. The doors are open. You know, none of that. None of that. So I'm. I was thinking to myself, okay, dude. Like, uh, again, sort of making excuses. Like he doesn't. He's just talking out of his ass. So that was when it got really bad. He demanded the next day. I went. I was at his house. He put me in his lap, which was a thing he did often. He put me in his lap. And he grabbed me by the face where he had like one thumb on one cheek and the rest of his fingers on the other one where you're like gripping, you know, you're gripping somebody's face really hard. And he had his face right up to right, my face right up to his. And he said, I spent three months at your house. You owe me three months. And he just kept saying it. What I remember is he kept saying that over and over and over and over 
while he was holding my face in his lap. Just like such an act of dominance. Yes. And I kept trying to get away from him and he would get so frustrated. And he was saying, it is up to me now to get us to a place of peace and calm and stability because I don't trust you to do it because of your anxiety. (laughs) Which he was the source of, ironically. Which he was the source of, yes. And he did not want me to leave the house that day. You have to stay here. You have to be here for this to work out. You have to be here. If there's a problem at my house, then it's because you brought it here. This house doesn't have problems. If a problem exists, it's because somebody else brought it in here. So if you have a problem moving in here, then it's that's because of something that's wrong with you, essentially. Um, I told him my feelings about that. And after his rage was over, brief little honeymoon phase, that's ridiculous for me to say. I apologize. The next day, it was the same thing. So I would stay at his house sometimes during the sometimes when he was um, not working and he wanted me glued to him like practically like if he could have stitched our bodies together he would have if I moved if I moved position in the night during while I was asleep he would get up throw the covers stomp out into the living room raging that he was tired of me turning him down that he was tired of feeling rejected and repulsive and he wanted to have sex I mean basically he wanted to have sex he would throw these tantrums until I would just relent and also at this point I'll I'll say that he was starting to introduce like BDSM type of desires which I told him I didn't have any interest in beyond that. I just wasn't, I didn't really have an interest in it. He wanted me to wear a dog collar while we were having sex and I did not want to do that. So he ended up buying me a, what's called a discreet slave collar that only he had the mechanism to open it with. So it was like a thin gold choker. And he did not want me going anywhere. If I wasn't with him, he wanted me to have it on. And then he kept the mechanism to open it. So that people would know I was his property. His word. Right. Which, like, there's a completely safe way to practice BDSM. But whatever was going on with him, it had nothing to do with any kind of, like, mutual respect. It was all about trying to control and dominate. Yes. And own and yes. possess you. Yes. Mm. Yes. Um, he started introducing some of that. And we had planned a trip to go out of the country for a week. This was back when we first met. And it was to Belize. And we went. My dad actually told me before the trip, if you're not comfortable going, I don't want you to feel pressured. You can always back out of anything if you need to. Mm. You know, and I thought, oh, he's just kind of nervous because I'm leaving the country. That was not why he was nervous. So we go out of of the country. 
the third day we're there, he wakes me up and he has purchased the ring that he got when we were in Boston. And he said, I want you to marry me. Will you marry me? And this is our fourth month together. Right. And I said yes because in my mind I thought I cannot say no to him in a foreign country. Right. With four days of a trip left. Again, I'll say I'll say yes and then we'll we'll deal with it when we get back. You know, we'll 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 figure this out. This does not have to be immediate. I didn't even and, and I didn't want to tell anybody. Right? I was not I was not overjoyed. I was not happy. I was not excited. And I I do want to point out too, like um, what you were doing there. There's um, and we posted a little bit about it on our We Are Her uh, social media. But there's a fourth survival response that we don't talk about a lot. So there's like fight, flight, freeze, and then the fourth one is called appease. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a survival technique as well because in that moment you knew. <laughs> that yes. the safest thing for you was to just placate, to please appease him, to play the game so that you could stay safe in the moment because some piece of you knew that to reject his proposal would have put you in severe danger. Um, yes. But in those moments, it's really hard. Like if you don't understand what your your own behavior is, like why am I doing this? Then it's easy to crap on yourself and be like, why did I do that? I suck. Like, what am I yep. doing? You know, why did I say yes? It's really confusing. It's very confusing, but you're right. That was the, that was the only way I knew how to survive in that moment. Right. So the rings on the finger and we are in the pool and I was like, Oh, I got to go to the bathroom. I got to pee. And he's like, no, just do it. You know, or no, we were in the ocean. He said, just do it here. And he put his hand like where he could feel my urine. Mm. And I, I, again, like, oh, he's just being silly and he's a doctor. So that's not even a weird thing for him, you know? So that continued to where from that point up until I got away from him, I'll get into that in a second, but just that that started so we leave belize and we are in the airport in houston i'm wearing modest clothing i have on just regular pants a a top that like hits right at the top of my pants and he says to me when we were in the line of at customs that some man was looking at me was disregarding his presence, disregarding the ring on my finger, and I didn't notice it, and I needed to pay attention to that kind of stuff. Again, okay, fine, sorry. We go sit down. I squat in my chair because I have back pain. A little bit of my skin is showing. That's not going to work. You need to sit down. And he would say things like, you just can't catch a break, can you? You're like, no, I can't. So maybe at that point, I'm just like, get home, get home, get home, get right. home, get home. So we get to Dallas. We stop. We're in a Whole Foods in a cafe and we're in a booth. My back is to the, my back is covered by the booth. I'm in the corner where there's a wall. My back is killing me. And he knows this. I squat in the booth. He looks over at me and he says, that is what men pay money to see from whores. Wow. 
he gets up, he's big, he's six four. He gets up in the booth himself, squats like I'm squatting, pulled his pants down and revealed his entire naked backside, his whole ass. Wow. In Whole Foods. Turns and puts it in my face. Oh my gosh. Just his entire I'm not I mean his entire naked backside. I was able to, I just said, stop, Michael, stop, stop. And I just got out, I pushed him out of the way as best as I could. And I got out of the booth. I went and sat outside. He came out. And that was, I would say, the some of the worst, some of the worst abuse that occurred was on this drive back. He was driving over 90 miles per hour. He, um... To the point he started raging at me that that ring on my finger didn't mean anything. It didn't matter. He wasn't going to be mind fucked um, by a woman. He'd been mind fucked by women before. That was one of his very, one of his real mind fuck was, was something he really liked to say. Um, and that I was denying his reality by not letting him help with my anxiety and therefore he was suffering because I wasn't letting him help me. And it got to where I looked over at him. And I, I know that women have said this before. People have said this before about when they feel like they've seen yeah. evil. His eyes normally were blue and they were, I remember this vividly and I'll never forget it for as long as I live. They were black. His eyes were completely black. And I said, pull over because I'm going to be sick. We pull over on a busy interstate. I'm vomiting and he's raging, walking around the car, raging, 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 raging. And he gets back in the car and he's like, we just need to get your anxious ass home is all. And I start to say something back and he grabbed the back of my head, like my hair and he leans over and pushes the like the side of my face up against the the right passenger window and he's just i know he's saying something i don't i don't remember what he said to me all i remember was i know that in that moment i dissociated i totally left my body and i was watching myself being with my head being held up against a window with this man raging at me after i had just vomited 90 miles per hour all the way home into my apartment and drops me off shows me his naked ass again so that I can see what I look like people see what is mine that belongs to me I'm not going to have anybody seeing it stomps out of the house fast forward I'm we we go see a therapist it was three hours of him talking about himself. She told me in private, he's an abuser. You cannot be with him. You have to get away. If he doesn't take your life, I'm afraid that you will. And I was about 89 pounds at this point, going on for like 88. Couldn't stay awake, sleepy all the time. And I finally decided around, it was around Halloween, or I'm sorry, around November We'd kind of gone back and forth. It was very tumultuous. You know, what do you want? What do we, you know, this, it's all a blur. But in November, right before Thanksgiving, I decided I'm ending this. I'm going to take the ring 
back to his house, which was a fatal error. And I take it to his house because he wanted it back. And he ended up forcing intercourse. And um, he laid down on the bed or on the, let me, let me backtrack for a second. I want to say that from Belize, from our trip to Belize up until this point, anytime I was with him, he would follow me to the bathroom to put his hand in my urine. And he would kneel down in front of the toilet while I was peeing. He would lay his head on my knee and he would ask me while he had his hand in my urine stream if I loved him. And that, that was how I proved my loyalty to him was by allowing him to put his hand in my ear. Which is just like you being in the most vulnerable position and him completely exploiting that vulnerability, you know, testing you to see if he still had the power and control. Yes. Right. Which it, when it's like, sounds so, I mean, that's a very, obviously a very bizarre thing for him to do, but it also, when you put it into the context of that need to have power and control, it, it like, sickeningly makes sense yes yes Mm. yes absolutely um so that from september until i ended the finally ended the relationship that was happening and he would be disappointed like if he if he didn't get to go to the bathroom with me you know it's very and i by that point i was so tired that it didn't even i didn't think about it too much as being anything there were so many other things going on, so much other abuse going on that it was like, okay, he wants to put his hand in my pain. Right. Fine. You know, just exhausted. So he, um, I give him the ring back. He, let's see, he forced intercourse. He laid on the couch and pretended to play dead. Hmm. And I go over to get my keys he thinking I can kind of sneak out. He gets up, starts raging at me, comparing me to my alcoholic mother, telling me that at my age, at 33, that I'm not going to find love. Um, he pushed me up against a wall and held me again by my face. And I remember his spit covering my mm. face. And I'm all, all I remember thinking was like, I wish I could just wipe this out of my eyes because I can't really listen. I, I remember try, thinking I, I want to listen to what he's saying, but I had my, my face was covered in his saliva. Right. And he just would not let go of my face. And then he grabbed me around the throat and pushed me up against the wall, like, like up and against the wall more with his hand on my throat and snarling wild things, wanting to know who I had had sex with before him and, uh, you know, what was I going to do to prove to him that we could be together and I could be his wife. These things that were so bizarre, it was almost like I was witnessing a psychotic episode. And he let go of me, and I remember just reaching for my purse and my keys. He went and laid down on the couch again, played dead after all of that. I'm walking slowly out the door. I get almost to the door. 
he hops back up. If you leave here without telling me who you have had sex with before we met, I'm never talking to you again or something. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, duh, that's the whole point. Like I just ended up like, adios. <laughs> like that's, that's okay. Which that's I, I do want to point out too. Like um, it's, you know, most abusers generally don't use physical abuse until they feel like they're losing that power and control. And that's when it gets really, really dangerous. So by you going and being like engagement over goodbye, that's going to like escalate shit real fast. Yes. And it did. So I get to the door. He blocks the door. Answer the question, answer the question, answer the question. And I'm just, I'm just standing there. I'm not saying a word. He said, he pulls his, he has his phone. He says, fine, I'm going to call the sheriff's department to have you removed. He calls 911. I open the door. I get in my car and I drive off. Three days later, calls like nothing's happened. Basically from November until September 2019, he stalked me, harassed me to the point that I had to contact law enforcement. I kept records of everything he sent me. I would get 50 emails. I would get a hundred text messages. I would have 20, I mean, I would have two or three 20 minute long voicemails literally up until September of 2019. So what, seven months ago? And I changed my number. I changed my email. I changed everything. I drove a different car for a little bit of time. I quit teaching all of the places where I was teaching yoga. Um, had to not work for a short period of time to get all of this under control. I moved at the very beginning of September and I never, nothing, never, no, no contact, no nothing at all. And I'm like, thank God, you know, because right up until the day I moved, he was knocking on my door. Which is really scary. That's a, that's a, um, you know, I mean, I don't want to like trigger you, but I'm sure you're already very aware that that is a a pretty big red flag that this person is, you know, lethal, like capable of killing you. Yes, absolutely. No, I know that he could and would. So I, I don't hear from him. I don't hear from him. I don't hear anything about him. I, of course, have contacted the medical board about the behavior I witnessed, the drug use, all of that stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to let anybody know, like, there is a dangerous right. person. The, the fact that he's an ER physician, and he doesn't need to be driving a car, much less being right. a doctor. Um, he, as far as I know, he's still a physician, did not get in trouble. And um, I find out that in, in November... I hear that he has a woman moved in with him and he got married in February. Another very quickly escalated relationship. Yes. Mm. And I've already been contacted by child protective services because she has two children and been called to testify for a custody hearing to testify about his behavior. Wow. Wow. Because the fathers of the children 
picked up on this person's behavior immediately and do not want their children around right. him. So I actually have not, ha- I've not had to lay eyes on him. I went to court. He didn't show up, but I have, I mean, I basically everything I told you and then some is in this affidavit and he, he's read it and she has read it. So. And do you know when their, their court date is, do you have like a, a timeline for that? Or are you just sitting in, in anxiety with that? I'm sitting in anxiety with that. <laughs> You know, and I, the, when I did go, when he didn't show up, his current wife was there and I had an attorney with me and the attorney said something to another attorney. Like, I'm, I'm here to make sure Alex doesn't, you know, to make sure Alex is protected. And she closed her eyes and shook her head. Like, you know, like she didn't believe it. And I, I don't have any bad thoughts towards her. I just, I know that she's, I, I know what what her thought is, you know, cause he did the same thing to me with his ex-wife, you know, she's mentally ill. She's, she was found to be incompetent. Of course, none of that was true. So I know what she's hearing about. She's me. on her own journey and deep, deep in that world right now. Way yeah. deep. Yeah. Because she lives with him. She doesn't work anymore. I mean, she's now 100% reliant on him. Right. And I think that the, what saved me, and there's a, there's, I mean, I could go on and on, but what saved me is that I did, I had not moved in right. with him. And the, the, the fact that I had somewhere to go to get away from him really helped me to get away from him safely. Right. And the fact that I, by some miracle, was able to tell people close to me what was going on because they didn't know. And they, they, all of them, my dad, two of my friends, I mean, they just looked me square in the face and said, you're being abused. Right. You're being abused and he's going to kill you. Like if you, if he doesn't kill you, you're going to end your own life. And it was very sobering that I, I, that was the moment where I really realized, okay, I, I this is abuse. Right. Cause when you're in it so deep, it ta- sometimes it takes that external reference point to help shed some light on the, the chaos and the insanity, you know, and I just am like props to your family for being so wonderful. It sounds too like they, they really had a, an effective approach where they weren't trying to like kick the door in and rip you out of there. Cause that's dangerous and also not effective, but they really um, just like lovingly supported you and gave you space, but also were honest with you, which is like, you know, a lot of, a lot of people's loved ones, you know, as well-intentioned as they are, try to intervene and really mess it up even more or make it more dangerous, you know, so. Because it can be more Mm -hmm. dangerous that way, yes. Yes. So that is, that is how I was able to get out is I had somewhere to go. I was, I did not rely on him, which was also a big fresh, which was something he was always mad at me about. You know, he wanted. Total dependence. So the fact that. Mm hmm so I was not independent. I did not depend on him for, for absolutely nothing, which really helped me to get away. And the best way that I can describe him, because I thought, how do I describe him? Is there was that movie that came out about Ted Bundy on yeah. Netflix. Mm-hmm. And the title of the movie is Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. And that is the best way I know to describe him. Mm. I never have thought of things 
in any way or, or use the description of evil, but it felt like evil came to visit mm-hmm. me. And there are times when I feel like he's nearby or he's watching me or he's, th- it's a, it's a very powerful, very strange sort of thing where it's, I'll have moments where I feel very scared mm. And I do have the feeling like he's nearby or, or, or he's thinking about you somewhere and you're picking up on it or just something. Yeah. Yes. It's very, and it's very dark and it's very, it's physically ill type of a feeling, but long story short, I gained weight and ate food again and slept. And thankfully I had a therapist and I got resources at our, local crisis center, which I would tell any woman or any man that's in that situation, if they can safely seek that out, it is so helpful. So I am, um, here I am. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, like your, your healing journey is pretty new. Yeah. Um, Pretty raw. Yes. And it's strange healing while I know that he has already married somebody and I know that he's abusing. Yeah. You know what I mean? That that's that is the thing. When I heard that that he was getting married, I actually had a panic right. attack. That's a lot of weight and, to carry. Yeah, because it was like, no, 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 no. Like he's supposed to be getting in trouble. I told everybody. I've exposed him. He's not. This isn't supposed to be happening. Like we've got to stop right. this. <laughs> you know what I'm. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's got his hooks in deep, though, you know, and, and it sounds like she's a lot more dependent on him, which is a total abuse tactic, because if you have nowhere else to go and you have no money and you're living in this person's house, it's like, what do you do? You know, where, where do you go? You just you become homeless. Like maybe, you know, of a local domestic violence shelter. Maybe you don't. Maybe they have room. Maybe they don't. I mean, there's just so much like fear, genuine fear there. Yes. Yes. And anytime I think about it, the whole thing, it just feels like a, a tornado that came in and destroyed in a short amount of time. And then like the destruction takes so long to recover right. from. That's what it feels. That's what it felt like. That's what the whole thing felt like. That there was this time in my life I was doing, everything was great. And then it was just this, this disaster just came in. And then there was all this destruction and then the tornado moved to a different place. And then I'm still over here trying to recover. It's every day that I take a deep breath or I just lay down or I eat peacefully. I'm, I'm so thankful Mm. because I will, I just, I will have memories of that period of time and it's still, I can close my eyes and sometimes I'll have flashes of memory of things that I had forgotten probably when I was dissociated right. and it's just, Oh my God, right. you know, like, oh. and it can bring your body, not just your mind. It can bring your body right back into that place. And I, oh, I yeah. so appreciate your, um, your descriptions around like what was happening to your body during that time. Even the moment where you guys were trapped in the car and you threw up, like our bodies are so primally hardwired to know when something is dangerous or off. And oftentimes, even if our mind is saying one thing, our bodies really can tell us a lot about what's going on around us. 
Yes. Um, I think that's a really powerful message. Yes. I've thought about any, any person that is questioning you probably will, they will probably, you'll probably question yourself. Cause I still do like, like I was talking to mm-hmm. you before. I still wonder maybe, maybe I was just anxious and that really, I just can't be in a relationship. But if your body is screaming at you, if there's anything at all, at all that feels uncomfortable, that makes you have a feeling physically, it is not ever, ever to be ignored, ever. Like you should never be, you should never feel uncomfortable or unsafe with somebody if it's a friend or family or an intimate partner or a potential partner, you, you, you're not supposed to feel unsafe ever. Right. And it is so important to me that anybody in that situation knows that you are not crazy. Mm. You're absolutely not crazy. You're not crazy. You are not imagining it. It happened. It was real whoever the person is, is going to do it to the next person. They didn't just do it to you. He did not just do that to me. They will continue. And there's never an excuse to abuse. They make a choice. If they can, if he, he had the ability to be kind to me and then 10 minutes later rage at me and push me up against a wall. The abuse was a choice made by him. Nothing, nobody deserves abuse. Nobody asks for it. Nothing causes it. They do it. They, they do it for whatever reason that they do it. And I spent a lot of time trying to understand like, well, why is he abusive? Maybe something happened in childhood. It doesn't matter. He abused. Right. And that's his stuff. He's an abuse. You know, that's, I, that is, that is not, that's my, not your responsibility to, to bear. No, nope. no, I can't sift, sift through that. I can't try to understand that. No, I, um, I appreciate like, yeah, just that passionate message around, um, you know, it's not your fault. And, um, I, one of the things that I like to say, like I've done a lot of education with teens and stuff is, you know, like we can't always help how we feel that's real, but we can't always help and choose how we behave. You can be mad, but you can, but that doesn't mean that you have to abuse somebody because you're mad. Yeah, I just, uh, yes, I 100% agree with you with that messaging. I think it's so important to uh, for survivors, wherever they're at in their journey, to hear that. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're doing really well when you meet them or you are you just had a significant event or you're vulnerable or you're not vulnerable or you're doing well. It doesn't discriminate, you know, and I had, I think that there's a lot of sort of kind of stereotypes that you know, it's going to be like a vulnerable woman right. that's needs, you know, somebody to take her in, you know, it can be this, like, sure. It doesn't have to be. And that can happen. Yeah. It can happen. And I think that that's sort of like a, that's like a, a thought. I think that a lot of people right. have, well, that, that those are the women. It's a stereotype. Those are the people. Stereotype. It's like, no, no, I, I was, I was doing just fine. And this came into right. my life, you know, it, it doesn't matter. They will find you if they want to. I've often heard too from a lot of survivors that they felt like their abuser was attracted to them, not because they were weak, but because they were powerful. And it was like a challenge for them where they're like, oh, 
I, I have this desire to dominate and this is a challenge and like, I want to win, you know? Absolutely. Which I think is what I experienced and am still sort of experiencing. I think in a way he's still being abusive, you know, like not showing up to court when he knew that he had to, you know, those, I mean, he's still trying to exert power and control. And I know that he probably does it with his ex-wife, whether it be driving to see if I'm at a place that I would be, or if she's somewhere, you know, I, I know that those things are happening. They, they're like a dog with a bone. They don't give up. Well, and they didn't stop because he chose to, they stopped because you had to do everything within your power to get away from him. That doesn't mean that he accepted it. <laughs> no, you just, you were just no. able to like figure out a way to get, get out and create space. Yes. Yes. And I would say you always are careful when you leave for as for as long as we live, I think. I mean, I know that you can't live in, you know, total fear and isolation forever, but I am always aware of what is going on around me now because I don't think we can know what really goes on in the mind of an abuser. And based on what I witnessed and saw, it would not at all surprise me or shock me that just because he got married doesn't mean that he would still not do something to hurt me if he if he could figure out how to do it you know he probably would and you know that and I that's another thing you know trust your gut and also trust your assessment of the situation because if you are the survivor in the situation you know better than anyone what that person is capable of so if your gut is saying you know this person is still actively trying to mess with me you're probably right I mean you you again you have intimate knowledge and and an intimate look into that person's behavior. And, um, you, you, you know, you know. And anybody that would be listening to this, that's wondering if they know or not, like, you know, right. Oh, Alex, I am just so grateful for your vulnerability and your generosity with sharing your story. I, I, I'm just really moved and you are a badass. Let me just say. Yes. Um, It's, um, yeah, I mean, I think we've had chances to connect and talk before this. And I've always thought you were lovely. I just feel really honored to have been able to hear your story and that you feel comfortable sharing it with me. I don't even know what I just told you. And I know that there's so much that I could have told more of, but I hope, hopefully I hit all of the extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. (laughs) Yeah. points (laughs) yeah I um there's no wrong way to tell your own story I and I like honestly like every survivor that's been on the podcast you know as soon as we stop recording they're like oh my god I don't know did I say it right did I miss something I'm like it's your story you're not acting as a yeah you're not reading from a script like however it comes out of you is perfect and beautiful (laughs) thank you well on on that note I think if I for you if there's any last thoughts that you want to share um before we wrap wrap up then I kind of want to give you that that last space I think it would be similar to to the same message what I've had to tell myself and what helped me the most is that 
like, first of all, you're not obligated to stay in any relationship that doesn't feel nourishing if it's because they drink too much and it makes you uncomfortable. That that can be enough. If it's that they treat the cashier at the movie theater rudely, that can be enough. If they shove you up against a wall and spit on your face and grab you by the head, that is enough. Like you, you do not have to stick around to see what else is going to happen. If your body is already telling you that this is not safe, then listen to your body. I got down to 88 pounds when I left and that was my body telling me I cannot you you cannot take any more and my mind wanted to keep going to try to to try to make it better it is so worth it to get it is so worth it to get away it feels like you're detoxing from a drug I've never had to do that well actually I have because that's basically what you're doing when you leave an abuser because you're so bonded to them it feels like coming off of a drug. I wanted my family to hospitalize me so that I could be just asleep and not have to experience the pain of leaving and the pain of really, of fully realizing what I had experienced because I knew and know that the remainder of my life was going to be completely different and it was so hard to to let go of that person that i had initially met who was who was kind and gentle in moments who i i couldn't reconcile in my mind that that person was gone and i had i was still clinging to that idea that he's going to be back that person will be back that person that that thought I hung the moon and was sweet to me and gentle and kind. They'll, he'll be back. Like, I just know it. I just have to give it time. And your hopefulness, that's beautiful. That's what you should do in a relationship. You, sh- you should, you know, look for the best in that person. You should be hopeful that things will be better. You should trust. Those are all good. That's healthy. What the other person did, what the abusive person did, that's the fundamentally broken part. They took advantage of your hopefulness and your magic. Um, and I just, that's such an empowering message, I think, for survivors to hear. And one that that creates some freedom, some liberation maybe is the word I'm looking for. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a process. It's a journey. And I, um, I your description is just so so apt. Um, yeah, because I can promise you that that person that you initially met, that love bombing person, they're not going to be back. They're never going to be back. They're they're gone. They weren't real. And I still struggle with that. Sure. Of course. That person's gone. That it's, it's, it's a grief. It's you grieve and you also have the, you know, you may be physically ill leaving. I mean, that's why it's so important to establish safe people that can remind you and not shame you 
you know, you're going to be okay. He was abusive for a long time. I just needed to hear you're going to be okay. He's abusive. That's hard. It is. Uh, This is very hard. It's hard. And you're, yeah. I mean, again, I just like, you're still so fresh, you know, into your healing journey. I, um, I think this is a really special like connection to have with a podcast guest, kind of like where you're at in this, in this exact point in time with your, with your journey is kind of, um, it's unique. And I am glad that we have this perspective to share with people because it's important. I'm, I, and I will just say that I'm thankful to be alive and healthy and sitting here having this conversation. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Cause there is a time when I thought that that would, there's a time when I thought that that would n- not be the case. So this is actually a miracle for me. Hallelujah. Ooh, here you are. <laughs> and you are on our podcast and we are so grateful. Yes. And you are sharing your story and your wisdom and your strength with others. And gosh, we just like honestly couldn't be more grateful to have you on. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm going to take a deep breath. And then with that, Unless there's anything else you want to share, I think we'll we'll end here. Okay. Oh, thank you, Alex, so much. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to check out our online community at weareher.net. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse or assault, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233.